Hey super friends, my name is Neil and this is episode 42 of the Get Your Comic On podcast. We are here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of comic book, film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio to your speakers. I am of course joined by my very own boy wonder himself, Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. How are you today? I'm alright. You've got a big hematoma on your hand. I have. What happened? A picture flew off a wall and rudely attacked me. Rudely attacked you. Rude. Well, what are we going to be talking about this week? Are you asking me? Who else would I be asking? Oh, I don't know. The cat? I thought you'd just been the royal. No? We. No, no. You didn't say we. I did say we. Okay, well, I don't know. It's behind me. <laughs> We're going to be doing the news roundup where we are going to be covering the end of Supergirl, the uh, Peacemaker series announcement for HBO Max, MC, uh, MCU really kind of trying to read my own handwriting marvel cinematic universe release dates getting shuffled as well as bond being moved to april and the news which we have heard today which is that Cineworld looks like it is about to close all of its uk venues review wise this week martin is going to be telling us about what i affectionately call the ballad of salads and snakes we're going to talk about enola holmes and i'm going to talk to you about the first episode of the walking dead world beyond and the haunting of Bly manor which uh, is coming out on netflix just this week. Without further ado, let's dive into the news. First up in the news this week is the announcement that Supergirl is coming to an end with season six this year. They uh, were due to start shooting this week, but have had to postpone because uh, Vancouver has got um, a lack of testing capacity. So all of the TV productions in Toronto have had to shut down, even those that had already started, because they can't get test results at the moment so Supergirl should be starting to film in the next couple of weeks for what we now know is going to be its final season they've confirmed it's going to run for 20 episodes and they are already in process of writing what will be the end how do we feel I'm a bit surprised actually I'm surprised as well I honestly thought that the flash would go next not thinking about quality or my own enjoyment of the shows but I figured domino effect they would all kind of go out as they came in Unless they were cancelled. If, if one got cancelled, then that would throw a spanner in the works. But I thought uh, The Flash would go next and then Supergirl would go after that. But no. I presume that the fact that she's just had her first child has probably changed her priorities. Particularly, if she, I don't even know if she lives in Vancouver. She might just commute up there for six months of the year to film. So if her husband and family aren't there, then it makes it's a bit like Stephen Amell, really. Part of the reason he decided to finish Arrow was because he wanted to actually live with his family for once interesting I'm sad I think it's probably the only one I would still watch we have that same thing with Supergirl every year don't we we start it and the first episode or first couple of episodes are good and then it tends to go a bit and then it picks back up again at the end and tends to end really well so I I had hoped, and we've spoken about this in a previous podcast, that with Superman and Lois starting this year, that it would be sort of 13 episodes Supergirl, 13 episodes Superman, and dovetail the two back-to-back rather than another long season to see if that would affect the story at all. But looks like we won't really get the opportunity to do that anymore. I wonder if they'll just transpose, like, Martian Manhunter and... It could do. Who else? That's probably it, really. Brainiac. Yeah, Brainiac, maybe. I can't see Alex staying on. But the other thing being that Superman and Lois is set in Smallville, not in um, 
not Central City, not Metropolis? Coast City. Metropolis. Well, no, yeah, but Supergirl's not set in Metropolis. It's um, Cent- not Central City. What city is Supergirl set in? Oh, I don't. I can't remember now. <laughs> That's terrible. Supergirl City. Coast? No. No. Keystone? No. Supergirl National City. National City. <laughs> I can't believe I had to Google that. So all those characters are currently based in National, not even in Metropolis. And then Superman and Lois is set in Smallville. So I still wonder how Supergirl and Superman and Lois is going to do stories in Smallville with supervillains. But I'm ready and waiting to see that. They're the only one that's still filming because they're in more of an enclosed set. They're not necessarily out and about, so they somehow seem to be all right. Uh, oh no, it's Canada, so it's oot in the boot. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Maybe they're in a bubble because they're somewhere slightly different and not exposed so much. I don't know, but they're filming. So, Supergirl, ending. Flying off. I wonder... I haven't got any idea how they could end it, either. I, presu- I absolutely presume that she won't die, like Oliver did. So, she, I just presume, will transition away from stories about her to stories about Clark. Which I'm sure some people will think is a fairly misogynistic way of approaching supers on TV. As one goes, another one comes in. Maybe she'll go to that, say, in a jar. Candor. Candor. She could do. Hopefully, it's a situation where she's just kind of done being the lead in a series and we'll still see her every now and then. Because the sad thing, if you think about it, if you think about the end of Crisis, you had the the kind of the Justice League forming as it were and you're kind of saying well Oliver's not part of it because he's dead and Supergirl's not part of it because she's not in a show anymore per se still wait to find out what happens Batwoman's not there anymore because she's quit so actually that that kind of hopeful Justice League moment at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths is slightly watered down already yeah I never thought like that that's yeah. sad but we'll see it'll be interesting to see what happens next uh, presumably this just means that Superman will kind of step up and become the main super of the CW-verse for a while. No idea yet on when Supergirl Season 6 will premiere. As I said, production is currently slightly delayed, but the aim is that it will start sometime in 2021. Another piece of DC-related news is the announcement that HBO Max has partnered with James Gunn for a mini-series, eight episodes, based on the character of Peacemaker, who we haven't even seen on screen yet. He's played by John Cena in The Suicide Squad, which will hit cinemas next year. James Gunn put a very hilarious statement on this, which is... So people were not happy about the fact that he, in the announcement, he said that he's going to be making this series between finishing the Suicide Squad and starting on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And a lot of people were a bit like, so you're not going straight to Guardians 3? We're desperate for Guardians 3. And he was like, look, we've been in lockdown for most of this year. Normally I would take a holiday, but I can't. So I wrote a TV series. Now, I don't know that I have ever read a comic book with Peacemaker in it. Have you? I didn't even know who he was until the Suicide Squad trailer. Then would you like me to explain who he is? Does it matter if I say yes or no? No. Okay, then. The Peacemaker first appeared as a backup series in Charlton Comics' espionage team title Fightin' Five, number 40, in November 1966, 
When that series was cancelled with issue 41, Peacemaker received his own title that lasted for five issues, cover dated March to November 1967. They were then bought out by DC Comics in the mid-80s, and The Peacemaker was a four-issue miniseries in January to April 1988. Peacemaker, uh, his, um, his alter ego is Christopher Smith, the name of our old landlord before we bought this place. Oh, yeah, that's weird. A pacifist diplomat so committed to peace that he was willing to use force as a superhero to advance the cause. He uses an array of special non-lethal weapons and also founds the Pax Institute. Most of the villains he goes up against are dictators and warlords. Smith later learns that his peace through violence efforts were the result of a serious mental illness brought on by the shame of having a Nazi death camp commandant for a father. He believes his father's spirit haunts him continually and criticises his every move, even as he tries to live down his past. Becoming a particularly deadly vigilante who would kill at the slightest notice, he begins to believe that the ghosts of the people he killed or who were killed in his vicinity are collected inside his helmet and that they can offer him advice and commentary. Interesting. Yeah. So what they have not said about the series and they refuse to confirm about the series at this point, is whether it's set before or after the Suicide Squad, because if they say it's set after the Suicide Squad, then obviously you know that he survives. And if they say before, then everyone will presume he dies. So they're not going to say when it's set, but presumably it will explore, I guess, a bit more of his origin or whatever of his story is not shown in the Suicide Squad film. It's a bit of a bit of a win for HBO. Huge win for HBO. Gunn has also said that he's not against using other characters from the Suicide Squad in the series, so people could dip in and out. It's eight episodes, as I said. Gunn has written the whole thing and will direct a number of episodes. We don't know how many, or if he will end up directing all of them. I would assume at least the first one will probably be directed by him. It's going to go into production as as soon as they can start shooting. So presumably we'll premiere on HBO Max next year. Opens up some wider questions about DC Films and HBO Max which I think ties back into all of the multiverse stuff that we've been talking about from Fandom in previous podcasts, because we've got the Gotham GCPD series coming presumably next year as well. So we're talking about a number of TV projects set in the film universe, which is very exciting. We've got the Zack Snyder Justice League series. Yes, and where the, where the, that could go from there, who will? Yes, exactly. Who else from the Suicide Squad would you like to see a series of? That's what I'm now thinking. Uh, Harley Quinn. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. She has an animated series. It's very good. We talk about it a lot. It's true. It's true. But you could almost like to see them sort of the worlds collide. Yeah, well, that could be interesting. That would be interesting. Multiverse Harley, in which live action Harley has to have a conversation and some sort of crossover with animated Harley. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like the internal monologue would be Kaylee Coco. Mm. Oh, ah, that's quite. You've struck on something there. I could pitch that. You should pitch that. I don't know who I'd pitch it to. Pitch it to Kaylee Kowoko. I just have if she's listening. Hi, if you are listening. Uh, what about Deadshot? Deadshot would be interesting. It's a shame he's not in this film because I did enjoy him in the first Suicide Squad movie, but it's nice that they feel like they can have a shifting roster of characters. I like that. Fits with the, the kind of the comic books a bit more. I'm trying to think who else I would like. Who would you like? I like Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang. Why would you say Captain Boomerang? Well, I think the Jai Courtney version from the the first film is very funny, and I'm glad that he's back for this one, and I hope he survives more than the first sort of five minutes of it. 
So I think his would be an interesting character to explore. And that would widen out the Flash universe a little bit as well. It would. Let us know who you would like to see a series of from the Suicide Squad, because we're clearly stumped at Harley Quinn being our favourite. So if you'd like to get in touch and let us know who your suggestions would be for a Suicide Squad show, then find us on Twitter at GetYourComicCon and on Instagram also at GetYourComicCon. Now we get to more depressing cinema news. So take a deep breath and (gasps) sigh. Because we've got more shifting release dates. We knew this was coming, but Black Widow has moved from November as Disney and... um, 20th Century Studios, being owned by Disney, have shifted a whole bunch of release dates. So let me let me go through and, and rattle these off. So Black Widow was set to uh, come out in November. That will now release on May the 7th, 2021. Marvel's Eternals, which was supposed to be released in November. So Black Widow should have been May this year, and then Eternals in November. And so Widow shifted to the November slot, and they were in the, the slot for early next year. They were, they were due in February. So has moved from February next year to November the 5th, 2021, meaning that it moves to after Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which was supposed to release in May, but is now releasing in July. So that's only bumped back by a couple of months. Other than that, Disney also announced that Death on the Nile, which is the follow-up to Murder on the Orient Express, will release on December the 18th. It was supposed to be releasing in October. And Steven Spielberg's West Side Story moves from December the 18th, 2020 to December the 10th, 2021. I didn't know he was doing West Side Story. Yeah, it's his first musical. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a lot of moving for Marvel. So it should have been Widow in May, Eternals in November, Shang-Chi in May 2021. But now it's Widow in May, Shang-Chi in July, and Eternals in November. That's a massive move for Eternals. I am really confused by this. Because presumably we wouldn't have seen anything from Eternals until around the time of Black Widow, as Black Widow was due to be released. So in theory, we would have expected a, to at least have seen a poster or a teaser in kind of May, July, early summer. But we didn't have anything. Then it moved to February. So where we are right now on October the 4th, November, December, January, February, it's four months away. It, that news of the move came a couple of weeks ago, so say September. So roughly four to five months out from the film as to where it was supposed to be released. No poster, no official stills, no teaser, and now it's bumped by a year. But the thing that really confuses me is it's finished because it was due out in November. So it's been finished for a while. Shang-Chi isn't finished. But now a film that isn't finished and needs to go back into production is set to release before a film which has been finished for some time. Just makes me wonder whether they're not wholly confident in it. Which is, I have no reason to think that other than it being odd that you move a completed film to release after an incompleted film. It's kind of like New Mutants. It's... It is a very different type of story for Marvel because these are celestial beings sent to Earth and they're sort of godlike. It's it's a bit more out there and a bit more sci-fi than what Marvel has maybe tackled before. And there's a lot of history and legend to them and there's it's a bit of a different type of story. It's not so much a hero and villain type story, I don't think. 
not quite so clear cut as their films normally are. But it's a worry. I just wanted to see Black Widow. I was really looking forward to Black Widow. I'm not that bothered about Black Widow. Why not? Well, she died. Yep. I just thought, well, that's it done now. This seems a bit shame to her that you're going to give her this whole origin after you've killed her off in the main continuity. Yeah, because it's not really like there's much other place for her to go. No, you should have done that before you killed her and fleshed it out a bit. And yeah. had a nice storyline that intertwined with the rest of it. Yeah. And now it just feels a bit like, well, well, we've got nothing else, so we might as well give her a story. Yeah, it's it's a shame. And it's a shame that she wasn't the first female in the Marvel world to get a, to headline a film either. No disrespect to Captain Marvel, but I just... Black Widow's been around for so long, and yet she's never got to headline anything. Although she was there from the start, wasn't she? Exactly. Do you feel worse from Iron Man 2 onwards? Do you feel worse for her or for Hawk... I was going to say Hawkman. Uh, Hawkeye. 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 Because he hasn't got to headline a film and doesn't get to headline a film. He gets to just have a Disney Plus series instead. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. He's almost like a poor man's... Green Arrow? Green Arrow. And that there is why we're a mainly DC show and not Marvel. I don't even read Green Arrow. And I still think he's He doesn't have any a, comics at the moment. He's a bit of a poor man's Green Arrow. Green Arrow doesn't have any series. He was written out. Okay. He doesn't... Well, he does not not exist. He just doesn't have a series at the moment. Clearly, there's just not a market for superhero archers. Archers. No. Apparently, archery is not the cool thing these days. Well, no, I quite like to have a wee go at archery. Yes, that's, to be fair, I would give Archery a go. Anyway, we're totally digressing here. Are we bowing thup? <laughs> the next piece of news, again, is not a surprise. But I probably shoot somebody by accident. You probably you probably shoot yourself by accident. Yeah. Oh no, it's in my tea. <laughs> Sorry. If anybody that doesn't understand Scottish, what Martin just said was, it's in my toe. <laughs> give us the English translation. Oh no, it's in his toe. Anyway, James Bond, No Time to Die, was just this week pictured with standees in cinemas saying coming November after we just got a new trailer a couple of weeks ago that is no longer coming in November, it's now coming in April. It has moved again, meaning there is now not really a cinema release in 2020 until Wonder Woman on uh, December the 25th in America or December the 26th here in the UK. I believe that when I see it. So Bond actually ends up moving back to a year after when it was supposed to be released. I just find it really sad and frustrating. It is sad and frustrating, and the so that is being blamed on what is what will be our next news story. But let me tell you the exact new release date. So the statement was MGM, Universal and Bond producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli today announced the release of No Time to Die, the twenty fifth film in the James Bond series, will be delayed until second of April twenty twenty one in order to be seen by a worldwide theatrical audience i.e. America. That, and I guess they maybe foresaw what was going to happen with Cineworld. Because now, the domino effect is that the other major cinema chains in the UK have been contacted by members of the press and aren't willing to comment on whether they're going to remain open either. I suppose there's no point in them keeping the doors open to show... Unless you're like a really small independent cinema yeah, where you always show old films, films. and that's part of your... That's your shtick. Yeah, that's the that's your USP, really. Like the Prince Charles in Leicester Square, they show old films on 35mm, and that's great. No, it's not a plug, but 
by all means feel free to send us something um <laughs> we're coming to see you soon to see batman mask of the phantasm we are so yeah. but for senior world i mean look what happened when we tried to see batman begins they didn't even have it yeah even though they not... took our money and said oh come and see it oh actually we can't show it to you because we don't have it we don't actually have it but thank you for your money yeah please buy a hot dog um, no yeah but then our experiences with them after that have not been so bad and I have to say their customer service has been amazing when my Cineworld card has not worked on the website, but it's a shame. Uh, so this is so we're kind of rolling from one story to another here, but in the in the wake of Bond moving, meaning that there aren't really any major cinema releases for the next few months, Cineworld is now on the front page of every single UK newspaper today and on the news suggesting that they're going to be closing all sites in the UK indefinitely and probably those in America as well until... I guess is early next year, offering over 5,000 staff in the UK redundancy with some kind of incentive to rejoin the company if you can hang around long enough for when, whenever that is, they reopen. I don't know how else they could do it. I mean, even if they shut down some sites and not all, I don't know. I'm not a business person. I suppose it depends on where you are, because if you look at... So if you look at London, within within our reach, we can get to North Greenwich or we can go to West India Quay or you've got Leicester Square, and then there are plenty of other Cineworlds around London. But if you look at Shrewsbury, back home for me, there's only one, and that's the only cinema in town. So if they shut that, then there is nowhere else to go. So do you shut that, but then how many people in the countryside are actually going to the cinema, compared to how many people in London? It's, I, just, I don't think there's a right answer to it, to be honest. I was tweeting about this when I saw the news, and I wondered whether they should be offering so with the whole i i've enjoyed the fact that they've been showing old films so going back and seeing lord of the rings and seeing other stuff that we've not seen at the cinema either before or for a long long time has been quite exciting but do they just it's so difficult see my idea was do they just do a completely reduced price as in nothing like what you would pay to go to the cinema uh price to to stream it at home but then what's the difference between that netflix prime itunes yeah i suppose showcase are doing that aren't they because all their films are a fiver yeah, yeah, the old ones. Yeah. Because that's how we went to see Star Wars. But then I don't know if cutting the price is going to encourage people to go to the cinema. It might do. I mean, because it's, it's probably the confection stand where they make all their money. Yeah. Because if it's an old film, then surely... I don't know how it works. Do they have to pay for it? or They still have to pay for the license to be able to show it. And the, so the studio will still make money from it. It just... Yeah. But sure, there won't be as much as if you were to pay for the license for Bond, I'd imagine. But like I said, if you were to offer that virtually and do like a Cineworld at home online service where you you know you can book to see a certain film at a certain time, what are the chances when there's no new films out there that you're gonna see something that you don't already own? Like if they threw if they throw out Lord of the Rings again, we already own Lord of the Rings, so we wouldn't watch that. If they threw out Star Wars, we're not gonna watch that because we own it. Harry Potter, we own it. Batman, we own it. What I don't know what it would they they would then need to show that I would be like do you know what I don't own that I would pay to screen it from them. It's, it's the whole sort of Disney Plus Mulan thing. Are you really going to pay a subscription fee plus yeah. an early watch fee? So I don't think that there is actually a right answer in how to keep the doors open when there aren't new films to show. You've got Cats and Dogs three Paws Unite, which is came out this week. You've got Akira, which is showing for a few days next week in the four K remaster from Manga, but. There isn't the business to sustain opening cinemas. Sad. It's really sad. Because the question actually becomes, 
once they've shut those venues down and let those staff go, are they actually going to be able to reopen them all afterwards? And where do all the staff go? I mean, there's not there's not those jobs out there. No, then that's the thing. That, but also asking staff to kind of wait and incentivize them to come back. If they don't open until February, March next year, who's going to wait five months without a job? Going, I love working at Cineworld so much that I'll wait for them to open back up so I can go back there. Depends on how much your redundancy is and if that's economically feasible. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's very sad to hear. We'll keep a very close eye on that one and hopefully it doesn't happen to all the major cinemas. Or maybe it happens to all major cinemas and we go back to having smaller independent ones. But then how does a smaller independent cinema offer up IMAX or Super Screen? I mean, imagine if North Greenwich Cineworld shut down. Who would take that over? No one. Odin, maybe? But that's the thing. So only a major chain is going to be able to take that over. But if none of the major chains can stay open now, then I just, I don't know. It's it's a dark time for cinema, to say the least. It'll be the rise of the UCI. Do you remember UCI? Or yes. Scottish thing? No, no, we had a UCI in Telford. That used to be where we used to have to go to before we had a cinema in Shrewsbury. Still, I've got to the UCI. So far away, though. Two buses. That's a really depressing story to end the news on. You have a happy news story? I don't really have a happy news story, no. Oh, God. Make, make one up. Um, um, There'll be new comics this week. That's a happy news story. There will be new comics this week, as well as the season finale of season two of The Boys. There, there you go. And uh, oh, I was going to say the penultimate episode of Lovecraft Country, but no, it's the penultimate before the penultimate. Ooh, what's that called? Episode 9. Episode 8. 8. <laughs> well, you do also get the finale of The Walking Dead Season 10, finally, which is a very, very good episode, and the first episode of The Walking Dead World Beyond, which go. will be on uh, Prime for people in the UK as of... Uh, oh, today, um, if we manage to release this podcast on Monday, or yesterday, if uh, we release this on Tuesday. <laughs> All right, onwards with reviews. we got four things to review this week, and I'm looking at the board, trying to decide how best we tackle them, and uh, one of them is for the two of us, two of them are for me, and one of them is for you. So should we have a joint discussion about Enola Holmes first? Why not? Enola Holmes is uh, available now on Netflix globally. It stars Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes. Henry Cavill. You've got to say her name really fast, haven't you? Millie Bobby Brown. You couldn't say it slow. Millie Bobby Brown. Oh. Uh, Henry Cavill as Sherlock Holmes. Sam Claflin as Mycroft Holmes. Helena Bonham Carter as Eudora, Eudoria Holmes. And Louis Partridge as Tewksbury. you also got Bern Gorman from uh, Torchwood as Lynn Thorne. Good ensemble cast. Francis de la Tour. Lover. The giant from, um, from Harry Potter. So when Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother is missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. You were quite excited for this one. You actually asked me to contact Netflix about it, to get hold of a copy. It looked interesting. I thought, oh, why not? But then you didn't, so... No, because I'm trying to maintain some sort of level of decorum when it comes to requesting films and not overloading myself and getting to a point where I have a mental breakdown because I've got so much to review. 
says he who currently has six films sitting in his inbox that need review. Mm. That's fair enough. How did you feel about it after having watched it? It was all right. What was it that you thought made it look really good? It just seemed a bit quirky and different. I would agree. It definitely did seem quirky and different. What are you laughing at? You went a bit quirky. I would agree, my I would agree with you on that one. And I was also really interested to see what Henry Cavill would do with playing Sherlock Holmes. That wasn't a piece of casting I ever expected to see in my life. No. It was interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I actually quite liked him. But then I think Henry Cavill is a very uh, warm actor. And I think it's difficult to not like him in any part. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. He actually manages to play Witcher quite cold, obviously. He's not a particularly lovable Witcher. But you know what uh, I mean? He's, I uh, don't know. He seems like, <laughs> he seems like a nice guy. And therefore, most of the parts he is, he feels quite likeable in, if that makes sense. Yes. So, okay, so go on. So you thought it was all right after you'd watched it. Ironically, not like you to say, it's all right. Um, well, no, you've got to listen to the inflection. I said it was all right. Okay, so... And laboured in the all. It, yes, all right. I was going to say. So this isn't a, it was amazing, all right. It was a, it was just all right. So what, what didn't quite live up to expectations? Um, I don't know. I just I wouldn't. It was all right. <laughs> Those are all the words I know. Okay, it was all right. I I, I liked it, but I wouldn't watch it again. Okay, I'm glad I watched it. I'm a glad. I'm a glad. <laughs> I'm glad I watched it, but I wouldn't watch it again. I didn't like Cavill's Sherlock. Okay, so let's pause on that for a moment. Oh, I was trying to talk there. So what yeah. didn't you like about Hav- uh, Havel's... <laughs> Havel's Herlock? Cavill's Sherlock. He was too nice. Okay. So not like a Cumberbatch Sherlock. Yeah, because you normally he's a bit like, I'm going to solve the crime and I'm going to be a bit arsy and rude about it. Yeah. It's quite nice. Well, not quite nice, but quite funny. Yeah. Where he was very warm and almost that sort of big brother father figure yes which is not a Sherlock that we we normally see and that is why and that is why Netflix is being sued yes. for it which is fine I'm not saying that's a bad Sherlock it's just not the Sherlock that I'm used to seeing that's fair enough what did you think about Sam Claflin as Mycroft he was a horrible man wasn't he I Mycroft for me is synonymous with Mark Gatiss or Gatiss, I never quite know how to pronounce it because he just is quintessentially sort of Mycroft to me from that series so that's kind of my template for him and I didn't feel that Claflin was in the same mould I mean it's obviously set in a different time so it's not like he's going to be some sort of espionage, super spy, tech expert government spy type person but he was just not very nice no, but I suppose that was really important because it was of its time, and that's how he would a, be back then. A gentleman of his stature would yeah. act in his time, and because he's the older brother, isn't he? So he yeah. has to he has to shoulder the the reputation of the family, and then it's all very misogynistic. And yeah, very. I suppose he also has to deal with the fact that his brother is famous and in the papers, and people know who he is for for what he does. So I think it. Yeah, you're right. It probably does add up. It just isn't my template of Mycroft. How do you feel about Millie Bobby Brown as Enola Holmes? Oh, I don't know anything about Enola Holmes, but I thought no, she no, played... No, I've never read a book of that either. I've never read any Sherlock, to be fair. Which is terrible, because he's Scottish, isn't he? 
Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? Yeah. Mm, dear. It's terrible. I walk, back, I, do, I walk past this statue all the time because it's back home in Edinburgh. Of course it is. I'd forgotten about that. There's a big statue of him with his pipe. Yes. Um, but I've never read any of it, actually. Um, so I didn't know much about Anola Holmes. But she, I thought she played it very well. She's not an invention of Conan Doyle's. She's not actually from Conan Doyle's books. Well, just as well. I haven't read any of the books because <laughs> I still wouldn't have known who she was. No, so she is a she's a later um, invention. So Enola Holmes, um, let me just look her up so I can get this right. Enola Holmes, or the, the Enola Holmes Mysteries, is a young adult fiction series of detective novels by American author Nancy Springer, starring Enola Holmes as the 14-year-old sister of an already famous Sherlock Holmes, 20 years her senior. Six books have been written through 2006 to 2010. So it's an American author taking inspiration from Conan Doyle's originals and kind of opening it up to kids. Well, that's sad, isn't it? So it's like a, a TYE spin for a classic. Yeah. I and thought you would have gotten that from the from the film. Yeah, it makes sense now, actually. That makes perfect sense. And I suppose, didn't you say that because Sherlock's so old, it's out of copyright now as well? So certain books within the Sherlock original Conan Doyle novels are over 100 years old, which means they fall out of copyright. God, so you know how, like, years. very, very old songs, you, anyone can sing them and no one owes anyone any money for it because they're, they're not copyrighted. So like happy birthday. Yes. So some of the original Sherlock Holmes, like the absolute classics, are now out with copyright, which means that anyone can take a stab at making a film with them or a TV series of them. And that's where the lawsuit comes from, because some of Sherlock is still within copyright. And Arthur Conan Doyle, again, not that I've read all of Sherlock's books, but later on, he the character, as he gets older, does warm up. And what the Conan Doyle estate is saying is that Cavill's version is a later Sherlock and not an earlier Sherlock, and therefore it is illegal for them to use him without copyright. Interesting. From my perspective, I quite liked her. Millie Bobby Brown. Millie Bobby Brown. um, This probably sounds really terrible. I really like her in Stranger Things. I don't mind her in Godzilla. I forgot that she was in Godzilla. But I, having, this is really going to sound terrible, but having been to the Godzilla premiere, did think of her as a little bit brattish. But I do think she played it very well. The only thing I didn't like about it was the fourth wall breaking. Some of the fourth wall breaking I found really annoying. What reminder a third wall breaking? Fourth. Fourth. You can break a third wall, but I don't know who's over there. Well, somebody's over there. A sound man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can. I, I think I've tried to put that premiere out of my mind because it was so awful. Not because of her, just because of everything. Or because of the film. I enjoyed that film. I liked the film. It was just the people that were there and that scary man that was sitting next to us. Uh, uh, quick story on that one, just to give you some context. Oh, no, we can't say that. We you can might, say that. You might be watching or listening. You won't be watching. No, if you can't watch, it's a podcast. Uh, we were sat next to uh, somebody who was very upset to not be in the front few rows because they felt that they were invited guest on the A-list and they were not in the A-list. So said person did kick several seats in order to sit down and then proceeded to ask me whilst you were in the bathroom exactly how many followers I have and we have and how many people listen to our podcast because uh, he felt it was unfair given his number of subscribers that he would be sat next to us. <laughs> to which I thought it was hilarious because he then spent the whole film looking at himself in his camera on his phone and checking his hair. 
Yeah, it was a bit scary. And they shouted at us when we went to leave because we had to go to catch the train and therefore we missed the post credit scene, which I've seen since. And he was like, why are you going? Do you not realise there's a scene here? And I was like, yeah. I've got to get home. Yeah, I didn't like that because I was stuck sitting next to him. Yeah. He was huge. <laughs> anyway, Enola Holmes. What do you think about the storyline? Oh. You're trying to remember what it was now. Well, you've just thrown me off now. You've, I've, I've got PTSD from that premiere. She met the young boy on the train who turned out to be... Uh... Oh, yeah, quite like, yeah, the story was all right. It was interesting. Again, very much of its time. Very interesting to see the sort of the the suffragette movement and the sort of the... Yes. The plight of... Women in that time. Of women in that time. And then to have the villain, I won't say who it is, but a villain that you wouldn't expect to be the villain. That was a good third like act that. twist, actually. I Not third wall. No, I didn't guess who it was going to be either. I was I was following the story as it was and thought who they thought it was until the, the kind of the reveal moment towards the end. So it was cleverly written. It was genuinely cleverly written. Yes, I liked the story. I wonder if they will end up making more. It's obviously left very, fairly open-ended and open-ended in a way that could include more Henry Cavill in the future. And he is a darling of Netflix. He is, but do you think about think about this now. I love Henry Cavill as Superman. Have you ever heard anybody comment on Henry Cavill's acting ability, per se? Is he somebody that people look at him and go, one day that guy's going to win an Oscar? Um, I don't really travel in circles that people would say that. But? They normally just say, oh, Henry Cavill's topless in building a computer again. Give that man an Oscar. <laughs> All right. I So I think that Henry Cavill is great as Superman, but I don't think that Henry Cavill is somebody that people talk about as like an actor's actor or somebody that is... You know, he's going to carve out a great niche in action, but isn't necessarily going to have the dramatic roles that are going to get him Oscar-nominated kind of person. But when you when you think about that, Superman, major character. Sherlock Holmes, major character. The Witcher, major character. He actually, he's a bit of a dark horse, that Henry Cavill. He can land a big-name part that's he's, got a lot riding on it. He certainly can. Which is, I, I, I just think people underestimate Henry Cavill and actually... When you look at the kind of parts he's getting to play, he's, you know, there's more going on there than I think people realise. Is that because, do you not say to me, I'm digging deep in the, the archives for this one now, that when he first got the Superman role, yes, he said in an interview, I'm digging really deep. I know what you're going to say. That he didn't actually want, he didn't care about being an actor, he was just in it for the money. He did say something along those lines in an interview, yeah, a long, t- a long time ago. But then it feels like that's changed now, and actually he's, you know, he's there in his stripes, and he's... Yeah. He's doing what you just said. What did you say? He's, he's, graf- he's grafting, and he's yeah. playing some quite serious roles. Yeah. yeah. Some some big-name roles. And doing a damn good job of it. Yeah, he is. Which, is. which is why I think he is somewhat of a dark horse. Because I think people underestimate what he's capable of. What was the original point? We were talking about the story... That was good. That was the next question. <laughs> what was the next question? Uh, there's not really a lot else to say about it, honestly. Unless there's anything else you can think of that you wanted to, to say. No, not a bad film. A good Sunday film, I feel. It's a Sunday afternoon where if you nod off in the middle, it doesn't matter because you'll still get it at the end. That's what I was going to say. It's a it's a kind of Sunday viewing family film light watch. So, Under a big blanket. Yes. With a wee hot chalky. Or in my case, a cup of tea. Oh no, not a cup of tea. You have to have a wee hot chocolate and a wee biscuit. Oh, a wee biscuit. This mug's getting famous on Twitter, I might point out. 
can't remember if we bought it or not. We did not buy it, no. Oh, okay. it, it left Starbucks in someone's handbag. Not mine. And was gifted to us, I might add. So Another Homes is available to stream now globally on Netflix. I'll do my first review, which is for The Walking Dead World Beyond. This series is the third spin-off of, uh, well, no, second spin-off. It's the third series in The Walking Dead universe. It will be airing on AMC in America starting from uh, Sunday the 4th of October. So by the time this podcast is out, episode one will have aired. And it will be airing internationally on Amazon Prime where I'll be streaming new episodes weekly on Mondays. I have seen the first episode. I should probably tell you who's in it, shouldn't I? That might be that might help give you a bit of a premise for this one. So the series will focus on the first generation of teenagers to grow up during the zombie apocalypse, and it stars Annette Mandrew as Huck, Aaliyah Royale as Iris, Nico Tortorella as Felix, Joe Holt as Dr. Leo Bennett, Nicholas Cantu as Elton. Christina Marie Carris as Carrie, Samantha Lorraine as Young Hope. I'm reading this in order from IMDb, and it's not actually in order as it should be in the credits. You've also got Alexa Mansour as Hope, Hal Cumpston as Silas, Beth Leval as Dr. K. I think I've caught all of the teens in there. I apologise to any of the cast if I haven't. IMDb is in a bit of an alphabetical, weirdy type order. Series is uh, from Scott Gimple, who has been working on The Walking Dead for many, many years and is obviously based on the franchise by Robert Kirkman. I've seen only the first episode of this so far, and I have to say it's a slight mixed bag for me. Why? So it's going to air... So the first episode is going to air after The Walking Dead season 10 finale. So, you know... The walk. Think about what The Walking Dead is and the level of gore and violence in The Walking Dead and then think this is airing after it. And following that, it will air after Fear the Walking Dead. Okay, you with me? I'm with you. So it still has that level of zombieism. You know, bit of blood, bit of gore. Bit of, bit of nibbling. But it's very teen drama. So it's almost like a Walking Dead for teenagers, which make which is fine. Like a a CW version of the Walking Dead is fine. I've nothing against that. But why create it with a level of action and gore that means it still airs in a kind of 10 p.m. Sunday night slot? Because if you're trying to capture the sort of 13, 14 year olds like some of the characters in the cast are, they're not going to be able to watch it. I don't know. I mean, times have changed. They do, and I'm sure if I was that age, I would be watching it. But it just, there's a slight tug of war between The Walking Dead style of storytelling and something that's more teen dramery. I isn't quite sure which it is in the pilot episode. But there's lots of great ideas to it. So the, the place that they live in is technologically heavily advanced compared to where the rest of The Walking Dead casts are in their worlds. They're in a walled-off city that's got solar power, so they've got electricity, they've got computers, stereos, they've got weaponry that's been developed to help fight off the... I've forgotten what they call them. They don't call them walkers, they call them something else. Um, hollows, something like that. Can't quite remember. Uh, so it's it's very, very different. It, 
where, where you watch Fear the Walking Dead and it feels like watching The Walking Dead with a different cast, this feels like something totally different, which is good. That's the good part of it. I think the marketing for it has been a little bit confusing. I feel like... Well, you've seen... So you've seen the trailer. We were at the panel at New York Comic Con and they... Oh, no, you went to the toilet. Yeah, I went to the toilet. You went to the toilet and a woman dressed as the nun came and sat next to me and I had to tell her to move because she sat in your seat and then she was really upset with me. You upset a nun. Well, she wasn't a real nun. So it it the adverts almost pitch it like um, that film with Will Wheaton with the kids that go walking. Stand by me. That's the one. It's almost like Stand by Me with zombies. Like they're a bunch of kids that live in this really safe place and they go, do you know what? kind of bored of being safe let's go see what's out there let's go for a walk yeah but that's not the case so after all of that it was confirmed that they're only making two seasons of this show so two ten episode seasons and that's it this isn't going to be something that lives on for a long 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 time like the walking dead has and actually in the pilot there's a really pointed reason why they leave the city and go out into the woods so i feel like it's not been marketed quite right because it's not given away that there's a really important story to tell do you think they just they won't bother because it's The Walking Dead and there are no people to watch it? Possibly, yeah. Which is a shame if they do because actually there could be, if it develops right, a really interesting story. It's got good casting. It's got good effects. It's got good set. Everything about it is made the same way as the other two Walking Dead shows. So it looks great. It sounds great. They're, they're quite a nice cast. Having only seen one episode, I've not quite warmed to everyone yet. There's a couple of quite obvious signposting moments in the pilot episode exposition no 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 exposition well i suppose in a way it is it kind of revolves around it so uh spoiler alert for anybody that's not seen this yet there is there's two parallel kind of stories that go on so the two lead girls you learn through the pilot episode how uh, on the night the sky fell which is what they basically call the night that civilization ended that one girl was they were all together all holding hands kind of like dad daughter daughter mum trying to get through all these falling airplanes and complete chaos that was happening and they got separated so one daughter's with the dad and the other daughter's with the mum and the girl that was with the dad they just get to safety whereas the girl that was with the mum ended up witnessing the mum being killed so you spend most of the episode thinking well obviously the poor woman got munched (laughs) let's face it that's what you're going to think. And then you find out that that is not the case. And I won't quite explain what happens because I don't want to fully spoil it. But what does happen ties into uh, something that happened on the same night to one of the other characters who coincidentally ends up in the party that then leave to go on this journey. So the two of them don't know that they have a connection from that night that is it's going to cause some friction. But it's just really heavily signposted all the way through the episode, which I find quite lazy. Other than that, I think it's well worth a watch and I will stick with it, especially as it's only 20 episodes because you kind of go into it thinking I've not got to dedicate years of my life to this. I've only got to dedicate 20 hours. It's less than a day. It's true. I've been meaning to get you to watch it, but I haven't yet, so we will. So as I said, The Walking Dead World Beyond uh, will air episodes weekly on Sundays on AMC in America. It will follow season five, six, sorry, of Fear the Walking Dead and in the UK, The Walking Dead Will Beyond will be airing on Amazon Prime, airing new episodes weekly on Mondays. I now hand the reins of Castamere over to you for a book review. 
No. We've got no comics this week, but we have a book. It's similar, just without oh. pictures. There was a picture on the front cover. <laughs> what book are you telling us about? Well, gentle listeners. What is pa- it actually called? Um, do you know, I don't know. What do I call it? Hunger Games Ballad of Cold and Flu. And I call it just the Ballad of Salad and Snakes. It's Songs and Snakes, I think. I should probably look that up. <laughs> You're reviewing it, so I would hope you know what it is. Give me a minute. Let me get my specs on. It's the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a Hunger Games novel by Suzanne Collins. Well, I feel like I'm doing an audiobook there. I thought the, <laughs> the right tone there, didn't I? You did. Chapter 1. It was a dark day in District 12. No. So this is a prequel to the famous Hunger Games trilogy. So what they've done is they've gone back in time to the 10th Hunger Games and it's set in the capital and it's almost the journey of President Snow. So when he was a lad. A lad in the capital. Yep. And this is roughly 60 years before the Hunger Games, I believe? I think so. They've not. He's not got an age, but I do know that he's in his final year of high school so he's getting ready for okay. university so we'll say he's what 17 18 yep and how old is he in the film we don't really 60s say 70s 70, maybe even 80s so we'll say 60 70 years before the hunger games as we know it and it's sort of essentially it's how he it's not really how he becomes president it's a year in his life so it's probably I'm not really sure how to explain it or how it sets up the Hunger Games because it doesn't really set up the President Snow that we see in the books. It sort of alludes to how he may get there. So it starts off with him being actually, he's he's quite a nice guy. You know, his family have all died. His dad died in the war. His mum died. So he's living in his penthouse with his granny. Or the grandmama, as she's called. Grandmama. And grandmama. And his cousin, uh, Tigress. Uh, okay. And this is genuinely the same Tigress? Well, she's only ever referred to as Tigress, so I would must assume be. that... And she's a fashion apprentice, so it must be. And do they, by the end of this book, are they on separate paths that would mean that she would be a rebel? Nope. Wow. Nope, 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 nope. Not in the slightest, but she is very much a, a sympathizer. So it's interesting. So the, the sort of the feel in the capital is is that nobody actually likes the Hunger Games. Yep. So they don't like watching it. And out in the districts, they don't see it because they don't have telly. So none of them have got the TVs and they aren't forced to watch it? No, because it's, they... it's very after war, so... Okay. Do they have reapings and stuff still so the stuff so that's the only chance they see of it so they see the reaping yeah and then that's it unless you've got a telly you don't see it wow okay so if you're out in like district 11 and 12 you've not got a telly it's 13 around 13 is mentioned yeah so the snow family all their money was invested in district 13 so it sort of alludes to why he hates 13 the most. Yeah. So that's that's their claim to fame, really. So they applied all their money into 13 and all the weapons development. And when that got wiped off the face of the earth, they were left penniless. Right, okay. 
so the whole book is about how snow is poor they've got no money um, they can they can't afford to eat or clothe themselves but they keep up appearances because they're one of the elite old families of the capital okay so it's quite so in a way so just, i can see this is trying to get you on his side because it, it paints a picture of the war was really hard in the capital you know there are scenes where he talks about his neighbors turning to cannibalism eating each God. other um eating like legs and arms off people that died in bombings and things and you know it doesn't sound very nice dear they talk about the dark days of the capital there was sort of alludes to tigress sort of going into a bit of prostitution as well to feed him during the dark days but he doesn't really talk they don't really talk about it or go into the details of it shakes so i mean it wasn't i mean war is never a happy time it sounds really heavy-handed. It it was kind of so there are some really heavy themes, but it wasn't presented in that way. Okay. So it does. When I I read the first chapter, I thought, "Oh God, this is a very young adult." But then it is a young <laughs> adult novel. Okay. But there are some really big themes in there. Like I said, so cannibalism and prostitution, the way the tributes are handled as well. So they're sort of the way they get to the capital is they're brought on a a livestock train. And then they're held in a cage in the zoo. Okay. So it's not the same. In, a, in an actual zoo. And that's so they're kept in the monkey pen in the zoo. And you can go and watch them and throw things at them. And they're not fed. They're not looked after. They're just there. So I think pretty much just over half of them don't actually make it to the Hunger Game because they all either died of starvation or disease in the zoo. Or other unfortunate events that happen. Which I won't say because it's a bit spoilerific. So I haven't read this, but I did keep up with you reading it. And it sounded to me, from what you were saying, like it really, 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 really heavily signposted, which it seems to be my phrase at the moment, uh, a lot from The Hunger Games. It did, but it didn't do it in like a really clever way. In some ways it did it in a really annoying way. Yeah. So the whole thing, so there's lots of stuff thrown back to 12. So I'm nodding, no one can hear that. I know, I, I can see nodding. <laughs> so the whole premise of this is that the, the senior kids at the academy, um, 24 of them are selected to mentor the tributes for the very first time because they've, okay. they've never had mentors for the tributes before. And the whole premise was that they as mentors would then interview the tributes and introduce them on TV to make it more interactive. Yep. And obviously Snow gets put with a girl from District 12. Obvious. And then it all becomes this, it becomes a love story in a way. It's sort of him falling in love with her and then that romance turning sour. And that's At least fine. it doesn't turn out that he's Katniss's granddad or anything. No, I did I did worry that that was going to happen at one point, but I don't think it's that's the case. Okay. They never sort of copulate that way. <laughs> so you get to understand the name Katniss? So we get to understand the name Katniss, which is, irritates the life out of me. So Katniss is named after a potato. Okay. You got Jabber Jays. So we got the birth of the Mockingjay. And the Mockingjay. So yeah. the Mockingjay is a Jabber Jay and a Mockingbird that I've mated. Yeah. So the Jabberjays were obviously they were the spies of the capital. If you've yeah. not read the first books or seen the film, so the Jabberjays have got a record function. So the capital would turn on the record, they would listen, and they would fly back to the capital and repeat everything they heard as a spy. 
but they were genetically engineered so that they would die after a year but they didn't they mated and there was mockingjays uh okay you got tigress that you've just talked about you got um what's his face there was a relation to his on tv oh flickerman yeah yeah but so, different flickerman so i think it's like flickerman's dad or granddad yeah so they've never had a host of the hunger Games. so this is the first ever host and he was a weatherman and what was the name of the the building in the university that he went to was oh yeah heavensby hall so, it just it just seems like there was a lot of references from what you told me anyway again not having read it that just sound like it was just going oh here's a little oh here's what that oh here's that bit oh here's that and then the song as well, so the Hanging Tree song. Hanging Tree song, yeah, yeah so you she mentioned that. writes that. So his love interest wrote that song. It's almost like a... Not like a mock to him, but he, he took it as a mock. Right. And then there's just there's some scenes where there's like there's him like firing wildly at the Mockingjays because he hates the Mockingjay and he, he thinks they're like a an abomination and they're a genetic abnormality that should be wiped out. And you think, well, that was sort of... The symbol of Katniss and the Revolution, the Mockingjay. Yeah. So some of that's a bit silly. Well, not silly, just a bit too obvious for me. Okay. You know, I've just realised we've not scored anything in this review at all. No. Uh, um, but that's not a bad thing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, to be honest, you've put me off reading it. I tell you that, and I say that not in a, like, it sounds awful, I don't want to read it way, just in a, I wasn't huge, I, was, I enjoyed reading The Hunger Games, I read those books before I saw the films, and I enjoyed the films, but I wasn't hugely interested in reading this, but it doesn't sound like it's worth my time. I was really excited for it, so I loved the books, and I loved the films, I thought, oh great, we're going to get to see a bit more of this universe, because it is really exciting and really intriguing, but I didn't, I found it really hard to read. Yeah. And I did struggle in the middle and almost thought, I don't know if I can make it to the end of this. That's not good. How how long is it? It's 30 chapters, so it's about 700 pages. Bloody hell. So it's quite long. Yeah. Um, and the chapters are really long as well, so about 25 pages a chapter. And there's, you know, there's like huge portions where nothing actually happens. And it's just him. It, it almost becomes a love story. Yeah. Don't spoil the ending, but you said the ending was quite disappointing. Yeah, it was a bit like, oh. Really? Does it just kind of end? Or it is just there a... ends, yeah. See, I feel like. It ends, and it's sort of like the last couple of pages, are like really, really quickly catching up to where the Hunger Games are now. Uh, is that okay. well, he did all that? Hmm. See, I f uh, what I was going to say was, I feel like there's a lot that you could tell in that world if it was really necessary to tell more. I don't necessarily think it was necessary to tell more story but you've got the fall of america you've got what's happening outside of america potentially oh obviously you're not going to get a hunger game story from going to another country because unless it's a coincidence that everyone's doing it but there's you know why are these people not ever curious about what came before yeah i would think i would have liked to have seen or read not seen the first war because there are some really interesting things that are coming through, like the president at the time to have set up the Hunger Games. And there's some really key people, so the key game maker and the man who invented the Hunger Games. Those characters were really interesting. Yeah. You got to have an insight about them, or Snow's dad in a way, as like a war hero. Yeah. And they it, sort of, they allude to things like, oh, but there's nothing outside of the district, so the rest of the world's gone. And if you... They don't again. They don't timestamp any of it, 
but we've gone back 60 years so we're 60 years closer to what we know as society now so i just i just don't understand why there isn't any fixation on this terrible thing that happened that wiped out whatever the hell has been wiped out around the districts it seems like there was two wars so this talks about the rebel uprise but i wonder there must there had to have been something before that to have the capital instated and in the districts yeah and okay so the so the 13 uprisings happened and they've been wiped out so there's yeah there's that uprising and yeah as you say there has to have been an uprising to have caused the districts and the capital in the first place so why i just don't understand why we're not exploring that that maybe that's in the works i don't know maybe it is i don't know as as this is called a hunger games novel was it yeah then that's it's almost like a star wars story in that there's plenty more to tell i just i don't know for if if that's what they're looking to do and it's the same author isn't it it's suzanne collins yeah same author unless you want unless she's going to do another one after this that looks at snow's rise to power yeah because he isn't the president at the end of this book it doesn't feel like the right place to kick off trying to make something more about it if you get what i mean yeah if you were going to widen out the universe in some respect this doesn't feel like it was the right place to start you'd either go all the way back or you'd go a bit further forward to see what's happening now yeah i'm just looking to see if there's more talk of a film with it because there was some talk of apple having bought it because obviously everybody was immediately trying to dive over the movie rights for it. There's not a lot of talk about it. I wonder if that's because it didn't review overly well. I mean, it didn't review badly. Much like what you just said, it ended up being alright, basically. I've not said that word at all in this review. You've not? Um, I have, though. I'm saying it for you. It just, yeah, it seems like it's been a bit of a middling reception for it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad book, but it wasn't what I was hoping for. That's a shame. It was a shame. But it kept me occupied on those long train journeys into the office. (laughs) That's good. What are you reading now? I'm going to start reading... I need to catch up on some comics because I've let them go. Yes. And then I've just bought, which I'm very excited about, the next uh, Sandman Slim book, which is by Richard Cadre, which is my favourite book series, I think. One of my favourite book series. Yes. This is book, like, 10, I think. 9, 10. It's been going a long time. It's been a long time. And it is a damn good series. Okay. Anything else that you would like to say about The Ballad of Salad and Snakes? No, just that, I mean, if you're a massive fan of Hunger Games, don't let my review put you off. I would say have a butcher's and see what you think. For me, it was too much of a love story and not enough of a widening of the Hunger Games universe. And I will never look at a potato or Katniss the same way ever again. (laughs) Any idea what? So Katniss is a type of potato. Yeah, so it's a, a potato that grows in the mud by a special lake in District 12. Oh, right, okay. I was going to say, does it relate to like a Marys Piper? I don't know. I mean, it might do. <laughs> the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is available on digital and in print from where all good books are sold. Final review for this week. 
is from me. It is a new Netflix series which I watched a couple of weeks ago and finally am I allowed to talk to you about it. It is called The Haunting of Bly Manor and is the sequel to The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, After an au pair's tragic death, Henry hires a young American nanny to care for his orphaned niece and nephew who reside at Bly Manor with the chef, Owen, groundskeeper Jamie and housekeeper Mrs. Gross. It stars Henry Thomas as Henry Wingrave, Victoria Pedretti as Danny Clayton, Andrew Neil McKenzie as Soldier Ghost. Why does IMDb do this to me? Why could it not give me the cast in some sort of helpful order? You've got Tahira Sharif as Miss Jessel, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth as Miles, Amelia Eve as Jamie, Oliver Jackson Cohen as Peter, Rahul Kohli as uh, the chef, Owen, and Tanea Miller as Mrs. Gross. I'm never using an IMDb cast list ever again, just as a little side note, because it really does not help when I'm doing my reviews. I can I can sense your frustration here. It's because they don't put the cast in order of billing uh, before a series is out. The Haunting of Bly Manor is nine episodes, which will all be debuting simultaneously on Netflix on the 9th of October. Uh, fine. So I saw this a couple of weeks ago. I actually, I watched one episode on like a Friday afternoon, I think it was, and then the next Monday or Tuesday, I watched the remaining eight episodes back to back, because once I started, I couldn't actually stop. (laughs) It is a very interesting story. Why is that? Well, The Haunting of Hill House is quite a sort of straight-up horror story. It's got the jump scares, it's got everything that you would expect from a kind of... I'm not going to say generic, because I don't mean that, but that... It's it's a horror that you would expect. That makes sense? Yes. Whereas Bly Manor is probably more of a romantic horror. Let's take the word horror out of it, I guess, for a second. There's a There's a romance story that bubbles underneath it, but it's also still got those supernatural elements to it, so it's... It's a very different type of story, and I think that's going to split some of the audience that enjoyed Hill House somehow. I'm not sure that everybody will buy into the slightly more romantic story somehow. Why? It's just, it's not, it's not a straight-up horror. I think I probably only jumped maybe once throughout the whole nine episodes. It's not scary. It's still creepy, but it's it's not scary. It's 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 a romance uh, but it's it's a romance with supernatural elements that has a, a huge mystery that unravels across the nine episodes. So at the end of episode one, I had no idea what was going on. And by the time you get to kind of episode eight and the finale, you don't really know who's dead and who's alive. Because there are characters who you've known all along, who you presumed were alive, who are not. And then characters who maybe you thought who were dead, who are not. So it's very it's very interesting, and it's it's not at all what I expected. Hmm, interesting. It's got some very good performances. It's got a really great cast, some of whom have carried over from uh, the haunting of Hill House as well. It's kind of it's almost American Horror Story in that sense, in that there are cast members that have rolled over from the previous season to this season, but totally different story, totally different characters, and presumably they there will be people who will roll over again into season three, if it if it's picked up for a season three that is, which I hope it is. So it's that it is it's it's a true horror anthology in that respect. See, I think 
I think you would struggle with Hill House because it's scary, but I think that you would enjoy Bly Manor because it's a supernatural mystery. I saw a bit of it. I don't think I could handle the the Britishness of the household. Yeah. That that would drive me mad. He's in the manor, madam. <laughs> the new governess is here, miss. <laughs> the kids are very... Oh, hello. Are what? you the new governess, miss? Are you the new nanny? You should fall down the well. <laughs> it does have it does have that to it, and I was not at all surprised to then find out that it was actually filmed in British Columbia, and not actually in the UK. Miss doesn't like her crumble with blueberries, Mum. <laughs> it did, it does take a while to get used to some of those bits of it, but once you can once you see past that, it's it is really good, and it's set in the eighties, and it's filmed in a very eighties style, so it's very soft focus. Which, to begin with, I thought, oh no, this looks cheap. But it's not that. It's that it's filmed to be like a product of the 80s, which it is. Bit of Vaseline on the lens. Yes. But there's still... That's a soft focus, isn't it? Yeah. There's still a lot of modern elements to it. And there's even even a bit of LGBTQ representation in there, which is uh, interesting for a story of the 80s. Wow. I'm not actually... So even though the embargo is now lifted, there's a lot that Netflix don't want me to say to you about it because they don't want to spoil it. So, like, for instance, if you look at any episode list or um, read any of the synopsis or anything like that, nothing mentions episode eight, which is the penultimate. It doesn't have a title. They haven't announced anything about it. And I'm not allowed to say anything about it whatsoever. (laughs) So even me saying that I can't say anything about it tells you it's quite important. So it makes it slightly harder to review because there are certain things that I'm not allowed to touch on. There's even certain casting that I'm not allowed to talk about. which is why I'm struggling slightly. So I will wrap it up. Oh, yes. Yeah. By saying it's good. It's maybe not quite as good as Hill House because it's different and it takes a bit of getting used to. But there's a, there's a lot to enjoy. And I don't tend to binge things like I did with this. But this was a, this was a true binge watch. Binge worthy. Yes. In that I watched it all in one day apart from the first episode. That's quite a lot. Yes, and I struggled to understand what was real afterwards. Special effects are good, music is good. I really wanted to highlight Tania Miller from the cast. So she is uh, the lady from Years and Years. Oh, yeah. The the wife that had been cheated on, who ends up kind of looking after the grandmother, even though she was the daughter-in-law and not the daughter. She wasn't part of the family. She's the one that ends up kind of central to the family without being it. She's brilliant in this. She's absolutely brilliant. As is Rahul Kohli, who is the morgue technician from iZombie, which I know you've only seen a handful of episodes of, but he was really funny in that, and he's really, really good in this, and it's nice to see him doing something else. Hopefully he gets a lot more work out of it, because actually this shows that there's a good range to his acting abilities. Big thumbs up from me, basically. That's all I can say. Very good. All nine episodes of The Haunting of Blind Manor will be available to stream on Netflix globally from October the 9th, 2020. Just in time for Halloween. Halloween. Spooky season is here. I'm done. Okay. As are we. That is it for this week. Oh, that's good. We will be back in two weeks' time. When actually we know what we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Remember last episode we said we don't really say what we're going to be doing next because we don't know. We don't know. We know. We do know. That's what I'm saying. 
last episode we said we don't know what's next, but now we actually do know what's next. Oh, are we having like a Halloween special? No. Uh, well, we could, but not next. <laughs> so our next episode is, in theory, coming out on the 20th. And then our next one after that will be the 3rd of November. Oh, that's too late for a Halloween special. I know. But next episode, we're being joined by at least one special guest, if not two. Aren't we? We are. So you sat down this week for an interview. I did. With Vincent Martella. I know. The voice of Jason Todd from Batman Death in the Family. Although he did thought I was you. He did think that I, that you were me, yes. Well, I was too rude to say, eh, no. Did he say Neil? <laughs> well, Gary's like, Neil, this is Vincent. <laughs> Vincent, this is Neil. I was like, sure, yeah, that could be Neil. Hello. <laughs> so next episode, we're going to be talking about Batman Death and the Family. Uh, the film, the interactive film, hits digital platforms on October the 13th and comes to DVD and Blu-ray on the 26th of October. Now, there is some confusion about that because Amazon and a couple of other retailers are saying it's releasing on the 12th, but Warner Brothers are adamant it's the 26th. So at some point in the next couple of weeks uh, Batman Death and the Family is coming out we will be joined by Vincent for an interview next episode and hopefully fingers crossed if all goes to plan we will also be joined by Brandon Vietti who is the director of this film and was the director of Batman Under the Red Hood which obviously this film originates from so we will be talking about we'll be talking to both of them we will be talking to you about Batman Death and the Family the interactive movie from Warner Brothers Animation and why don't we go back and read the comic book as well so next episode will be a batman death in the family special which comic book are we reading batman death in the family oh they meant under the red hood you can read under the red hood as well i'm like a jason todd special (sighs) no we're having a batman death in the family special for the animated movie so it's like a jason todd special until next time If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram as at GetYourComicCon, and I am at Neil Vag on both those platforms. You, pain in the arse, where can they find you? Um, I'm around. I'm here, there, everywhere. What are you called? At Boy Wonder. 1989. <laughs> Don't forget the year. So until next time, bye! bye.